They say in space, no one can hear you scream. But the necromorphs just took that as a challenge. Welcome to Totally Biased Media, the podcast where three brothers that know nothing about video games tell you everything they know about video games. On this episode, we're talking about Dead Space, a remake of the 2008 sci-fi horror game of the same name. I'm Jordan, and I might get some hate for this, but I think Elden Ring's a pretty good game. I'm Jason, and my engineer shot the limbs off of your honor student. I'm Jackson, and I personally wouldn't get trapped on a spaceship full of murderous undead aliens. But that's just me. And now, let's get into it. I I just want to point out that I I just now understood why they're called necromorphs. Because uh, cause necro, dead, and morph. What's the word morph mean? <laughs> it means uh, form. That's uh, what the Power Rangers do. <laughs> yeah, they're, there they're, we go. They're dead forms. That's the big connection here is I, I now, I, un- I understand Power Rangers, so I can put everything in dead space together now. <laughs> <laughs> it turns out that the real marker was the reader Repulsa that we met along the way. <laughs> yeah. Dead Space. This is one that admittedly wasn't really on my radar at all. Um, I I had friends that loved the original back in the day, but it just, I wasn't really into horror games at the time. Just wasn't really clicking with me. But over the last couple of months, I've played more horror, probably closer to a year now. I've played more horror games and kind of gotten into the vibe a little bit more. And between that and talking to a friend that was really excited for it, it you know, I, I was getting more and more hyped up as we went, but uh, boy howdy, I did not know what I was getting into with this game. <laughs> yeah, I this game was so off my radar, I didn't know that it was coming until the beginning of this year. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, a few weeks before the game launched, I, ju- I just found out that it was even happening, so... Um, needless to say, wasn't super looking forward to it. (laughs) And I mean, I don't know how clear I've made it, but I do not play horror games at all. Uh, this is, I would probably say the first horror game that I've ever played, uh, at the very least all the way through. Cause I mean, I've given games like Alien Isolation, which similar premise, you know, um, I've given that game a shot, but I kind of bounced off of it because I got too scared. I don't have a, <laughs> I don't have a very good constitution for this kind of thing. Uh, but a little bit of a spoiler here. Uh, I would say Dead Space is good enough to be one of those games that gets you into horror games. I was mostly interested in it because I decided to replay uh, Last of Us Part One and Two, and was like. I'd like to play an actual scary game. <laughs> that was kind of how I was with Resident Evil 8. Um, I played it for the first time back in like December. And like, I love it. But it it's not a very scary game. And it really left me itching for one that actually is. <laughs> so let's do a little bit of setup for what Dead Space is. So it originally launched in 2008. Uh, in Dead Space, you play as Isaac Clarke a space engineer returning home from a space mission to the colony spaceship, the Ishimura. Wow, Uh, incredible. Everything you just said was wrong. (laughs) He's going there to visit his girlfriend, 
who works on the ship. It's not a colony ship, it's a mining ship. And uh, he he's not like on a mission. I, I think he's just being sent there as like an auxiliary engineer, essentially. Like he's just going to join the crew of the Ishimura. I'm not super sure on that, but like he lives somewhere else. Regardless though, this is the story of Isaac Clark. He's on his way to this big ship with tons and tons of people on it. But when they arrive, there is no contact with the people on board. Everything is radio silent. Because of this, they crash land and they quickly find out that the whole ship is being overrun with these zombie monster alien things. And it's now up to Isaac to fend off the zombies and figure out why they're even there and help his girlfriend Nicole escape. So that sort of sets up where we are. It's pretty good. There you have it, folks. That's the end of the episode. I don't know. There was just a really long pause there. I felt like I should say something. It is a game that did not seem like it would be my my jam at all. But I sat down to play this game one morning, like last week, and I, I think I sat and played it for like four hours straight. And I was just so into this whole vibe. Like everything about the game is so in sync about this space horror and the the sense of dread that there are these monsters all around you and you get really sucked in really easily other than the plasma rifle i have loved everything about this game so far (laughs) except the plasma rifle i hate it the plasma rifle gets good near the end Uh, yeah it's the one that has the biggest curve like as you're upgrading it the game does hold a lot of that stuff back from you in the beginning though this is one of those games that managed to really pull me in. It's been a while since I've played a game that when I wasn't playing it, I was thinking about it. Dead yeah. Space, like, for minute one, I was in. And, like, after I finished playing it for my first session, I was just, like, thinking of what was going to happen next. And, I mean, I, I just kind of spent, like, my whole day thinking about the game <laughs> when I'm not playing yeah. it. It's so good. And it's, like, thought-provoking in an interesting way. It's beautiful. <laughs> yeah, I think that I think that how good it looks and how the world sort of how fleshed out it is is what really sells this game because there are other fantastic parts. Like I think it has some really great story surprises and I think the combat's really cool in a very brutalist way. But I think that it's just sort of how unsettling <laughs> this game just looks all the time that really sells it like especially the monsters themselves some of these dudes are just so weird looking <laughs> yeah it and it and one it of them's a baby more at you for the entire game like you see a lot of concepts recycled but you're progressively seeing bigger and more messed up zombie mutant things coming at you and uh it I got to a point recently where I thought, so this is probably a majority of like the enemies I'll be facing throughout the game. And then all of a sudden, a walking head just comes around the corner. (laughs) It looks so weird. I would say at the point you're at, you've probably still only seen like half of the enemies. Because there there are a lot of them. And they are all like really interesting looking. And I think they kind of get progressively more grotesque and... Harder to fight as well, like as you get further into the game. Uh, so there are some that are like 
There, there's some that like burst open and smaller enemies come out and those smaller <laughs> enemies are really hard to hit and like your only real option against them is like the force gun or the uh that's why i the always have the flamethrower flame equipped yeah it is kind of weird how important the flamethrower gets just because <laughs> like there are enemies yeah. that if you're not using the flamethrower you're not gonna be able to hit them and then then there are some enemies where if you don't have your stasis so you can slow them down and get behind them like you're doomed. You're not going to defeat them. <laughs> there are enemies that like break apart into multiple enemies when you just like when you uh, dismember them and there are enemies that reanimate other dead enemies. <laughs> I don't think I ever had one of them successfully do that just because yeah, like I... as soon as I saw one, I it was my main target. <laughs> yeah, I was kind of in the same boat. I think like there was one time they actually made it to their feet, but any other other time I saw one, I would just like immediately light them up. <laughs> Uh, so let's take a step back and kind of talk a little bit about that combat, because I think it's one of the most unique aspects of Dead Space. So you play as an engineer, not someone that necessarily has a combat background that we know of. Maybe it's buried somewhere in some text logs that I missed personally. But but generally speaking, Isaac Clark is an engineer first and foremost. All the tools and abilities at your disposal are in service of him being an engineer. So other than like there is one just straight up machine gun, but <laughs> anyway, otherwise, otherwise it's stuff that would be used in this mining setting. So, you, you know, your basic gun sort of functions as a pistol is actually like a laser cutter that's meant to, you know, it's meant to be used in Cut rocks. It takes concepts like that and spins them into weapons, which I feel like on the surface I was kind of against because it means that everything's a little weird and specialized but i think when you're actually feeling out these weapons and you're unlocking them over time and you're like learning when to use which ones i like i think this is one of the most like just fun to try out weapon sets i've seen in a game because every weapon does something totally unique and can function i mean each one has at least two firing modes that do totally different things so there is like a lot of options at your disposal, especially by the time you have all the weapons about halfway through the game. And they work really well with the enemy designs too. Yeah, for sure. Like the the plasma cutter, its special function is just you can change the fire pattern from vertical to horizontal, which like doesn't sound like much at first. But the basic enemies you're gonna be fighting, just shooting them in the chest or head, that that's that's not gonna do much. You gotta take out them legs and arms. And one is vertical and one is horizontal. I wonder what you can use the plasma cutter for there. <laughs> yeah, dismembering enemies is a huge part of this game. And it's something you have to really think about on the fly. Whereas a lot of shooters, I think, would just sort of, you know, aim for headshots. But other than that, that's that's about the only strategy to it. Um, that's very much how the Resident Evil games I've played recently have been. I mean, there are ones that have weak spots, but by and large, you're just shooting a regular gun at their head and you're done. This game, every single enemy, you have to think about not only what weapon you use, but what part of the body you need to take out first so that you can increase your chances of survival as much as possible. Yeah. I usually go for the legs first. <laughs> Turns out yeah. enemies, uh, it's a lot harder for them to get to you when they don't have anything to walk on. Yeah, but even still, there are enemies that don't really function the same way in general, like ones that are always on the floor, so there's no way to take out their legs. And then there's like one that has a giant explosive attached to his body, so you need to separate that before you can f 
focus on the actual kill. And I, I just think that it does a lot of really cool things to shake up an already well shooken up system. <laughs> I think one of my favorite weapons is probably the Ripper, which is just like yeah a blade thrower. Um, but in one of its modes, it just suspends the blade out spinning in front of you. <laughs> yeah, you can just take that up to enemies and just like hit them with it point blank, basically. <laughs> Yeah, like, all the weapons in this game, I still think, function more or less like weapons we've seen in other games, except for the Ripper. The Ripper is incredible, and it's, like, the most quintessential Dead Space thing in the game. It's, I mean, it's it's literally a saw blade, but you can do it at range. <laughs> I th- it's <laughs> like, the closest thing you really have to, like, a melee weapon. Yeah. Whereas yeah. all of your other weapons... Some of them are better if the enemy's closer to you, but they, they'll hit them from a range, basically, no matter what. But yeah. the saw blade is only hovering, like, a foot or two away from you. <laughs> so yeah. it's really... It comes in clutch when the enemies are getting up close to you, and you actually need to, like, get them off of you immediately. And, and Jackson sort of alluded to it earlier, but you also have some powers on top of your, your arsenal that are really cool. So you have a... Uh, you have just ability to pick up small objects with your mind and throw them around, which is cool because you can grab stuff from the environment or parts of aliens and throw them at other aliens and do a lot of damage without wasting ammo and stuff. But you also have uh, sort of a stasis bomb thing. You shoot out a blast of energy, it explodes in an AOE, and everything in that area is slowed significantly. So basically anything that's in that area of effect is not going to be a threat to you until it wears off. And you can use that in tandem with different weapons to deal tons of damage when they're in a spot where they can't even touch you. And that is very, very cool every single time. (laughs) They also are used in puzzles around the game, which I feel like a lot of games struggle to lend your powers to both combat and puzzles. Mm -hmm. This does a very good job of doing both and using them together. There are multiple times where you'll like come across something that you need to move uh but it like won't stay in place uh so if you just put if you just put stasis on it and then move it it'll stay in place (laughs) i my favorite thing about it is just about everything that you can use in combat is explained like why an engineer would have training with it like they'll show you where that kind of weapon was used generally as you get new weapons in this and this is kind of a, a difference from the original back in 2008 But when you find new weapons, they are out in the middle of levels. And generally, when you get a new weapon, you're also going to run into a new enemy type that that weapon excels against. So it kind of tutorializes you on every weapon as you get them. In the original release, I think that you just got new weapons at the beginning of chapters and you could buy them from the shop, which is less interesting. (laughs) And it also makes tutorializing the weapons more difficult. I guess you just kind of had to play around with them more in that. But like I was saying, though, I, I really like that all the weapons, I mean, as you mentioned, like they all have really unique movesets, I guess, you know, with the standard fire and the alt fire, which do completely different things. Like we've mentioned the flamethrower. Uh, its alt fire is that instead it puts down like a wall of flame that just like sits there in front of you. And if enemies walk into it, they'll catch on fire. And it, it's good for keeping enemies at a bit of a distance. And all that is, like, shown to you in the world, and you get why, like, 
I guess that's kind of a weird example. I don't know exactly why you would need a wall of flame from a flamethrower, <laughs> but, but like it makes sense that in the areas of the deck where you get these weapons, like why they would be using these tools, like you get the ripper and it's like, well, they're, they're obviously need to cut things here. Cause it's in like the mining deck, I think, or yeah. at least in the engineering deck, something like that. But even like your superpowers, like the reason that they have that Isaac can like use that stasis ability to slow things down is because like when people are engineering things, sometimes you need to slow down machinery to get around it or can't think of another example. (laughs) It's one of those things where it's like it's fantasy logic. So it's it is weird if you like really sit down and think about it. But they, they do make an effort to kind of show you like why they would have that. And the more I think about it, the more I'm just thinking that uh, OSHA would really have a field day with this ship, wouldn't they? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Like, they're why on a spaceship that's just doing its own thing, like, even even when there aren't aliens overrunning it, why is there so much open flame just everywhere? (laughs) I can only assume that the Church of Unitology uh, uh, dismembered... um, that tracks. That tracks. <laughs> I, I mean, just to sort of sum it up, though, like everything about this game is really in line with this idea that, like, you're just an engineer. You're not someone that is necessarily out there with loaded to the teeth with ammunitions, and you, you're just trying to survive. And the fact that you are using effectively tools instead of weapons, I think, really contributes to that. Now, there's still certainly a power fantasy element to it, because in the end, when you have, you know, all nine weapons i think eight weapons something like that when you have all of them and you've gotten some upgrades on them like you feel very powerful but they still by and large feel like tools not like weapons which i think is such an interesting take on the whole horror genre well it's also kind of interesting because like you run into people that have military training and like they're using like like the pulse rifle that you get is like a mm-hmm. military issued weapon that yeah. only like security forces and the military in the game would have access to. Those weapons are useless against the necromorphs because like you can the, the pulse rifle I guess would be good for shooting a hole through something like a small hole, which is great for taking out people, but the necromorphs don't care if they have a few extra holes in them. The only way you can take them out is by removing their limbs. So yeah, you need to tear apart their body into enough pieces. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Isaac being an engineer is the only reason that he's able to survive the situation. And the people yeah. that, you know, have military weaponry are just getting torn to pieces. Yeah. Basically what this, what this game is telling you is to stay in school kids. <laughs> Engineers come out on top in all settings. Even made up ones. So let's kind of circle back. Jackson talked about it a little bit. So there is a big emphasis on, I guess you could call them puzzles, is probably the the right word as far as video game mechanics go. A lot of situations where you have to figure out how to get to point it from point A to point B when there's no way to get there or there's something in the way or whatever. And... I think that a lot of games, especially from, you know, the mid-2000s era, did a lot of puzzle stuff. I mean, think of, like, God of War, 
where you know half the game is hacking people apart and half the game is pushing around blocks to get them in the right spot to jump up like no genre could get away from that type of element but i think the dead space really does it well because of that emphasis on the things you were using to solve these puzzles are they're doing what they were designed to do <laughs> like you're using like a tool we, as a tool right and it's and i think it's that plus the fact that most of the solutions to the puzzles are just repairing the ship in a way that makes sense like i never felt like like i never felt like the puzzles were like a a stop to the game they always felt like just an extension of what you were already doing plus a lot of the time you know after you'd finish a step of a puzzle and enemies would spawn to keep the keep it tense as well but you know even if you were having to do something tedious like move a battery to a different station so you can flip this switch to open this door which will let you get to this battery to turn like even when you're doing that type of chain of events it still felt good because what you were effectively doing was getting the ship working in a way that actually would make some sense I like that a lot of the puzzles are more or less Isaac just putting things back together. In right. It's really obvious stuff. I, yeah. I would say there's not really like an actual puzzle that you have to think about until it's like chapter 10. But everything up until then is more just kind of, I guess, hacking. <laughs> yeah. Just hacking something together, jury rigging, maybe it'd be a better phrase. Yeah, you're you're taking the parts of this destroyed ship and putting it together in a way that doesn't get in your way so speaking of the ship though i think it's a really cool aesthetic uh for sure like i said it makes no sense really functionally but everything is tied so heavily back to this design aesthetic of the necromorphs are are very human like uh well i mean they are humans uh but they're basically zombies but like they have this biological aesthetic to them i guess i don't don't really know how to i keep saying the word aesthetic and it's starting to sound not like a word anymore (laughs) but the ship kind of follows that same philosophy i mean if you look at the ishimura from the outside like it looks like a giant like spine like rib cage (laughs) and as you're exploring through the ship like there aren't any smooth walls or anything like that almost everything is very angular and like everything looks like bones kind of <laughs> like spines and and uh rib cages like everywhere even the save station has like kind of a ribbed design uh over on the sides and it's it is a really strong and unique aesthetic that i can't really think of i guess it's stronger when you're in the areas of the ship where it's just like the engineers and the miners like the the mining deck <laughs> is especially strong with it because it has like what looks like heat ports or exhaust ports like all over the walls and stuff like that that are very sharp and spiny but then when you're in areas like the crew quarters or the the bridge like that aesthetic is definitely less pronounced and another thing worth noting with that is those lower areas that are more spiny <laughs> and sharp those areas are also usually where you're running into more of the infected and the stronger infected. Like everything kind of meshes together. And the more messed up that the area of the ship looks, 
basically the scary areas of the ship are also where all of the monsters are. <laughs> yeah. Now the sort of scary factor, I think is the only thing about the game that I sort of have a gripe with. And I don't even know if gripe is the right word. I'm just a little bit on the fence about the game. It's definitely scary at first, but I think you kind of learn its tricks pretty easily. Like you kind of learn to expect, you know, you kind of, you kind of pick up when an ambush is coming and you kind of pick up the type of places enemies might come in. And once you've seen most of the enemy types, you kind of even know like what you need to do to deal with them before they even get there. And I don't think that's necessarily, it doesn't necessarily take away from the game, but by the end, I wouldn't really describe this game as horror at all. Like there's definitely a, it's definitely tense, but I would say the back half of the game is more, it more it's just like a horror vibe instead of being like an actual horror game because there yeah. is still stuff jumping out at you and there's enemies that fall from the ceiling or break through walls but you kind of know what to expect by that point yeah those it, wall vents are the scariest thing known to man i think in the first couple of chapters especially uh anytime you hear a noise you kind of flip out and you're looking for like where the enemy's coming <laughs> from yeah and yeah. Uh, like the first couple of hours that i spent with the game like when an enemy would fall down from the ceiling like i would jump i you know i was scared <laughs> yeah uh i think at a certain point one you just kind of get desensitized to it because of how often it happens but it, two like your weapons are so much better i think that it does a really good job keeping things tense though because even when you're at a point where you're no longer scared when, when an enemy appears there's still always something going on like the ship is breaking down around you so sometimes when you walk into a room even if an enemy isn't going to appear in that room like maybe one of the the vents on the wall or the ceiling like starts spinning up way too fast like tearing (laughs) itself apart that stuff keeps you tense because like you know that there could be an enemy yeah well, only there was an engineer on board to fix all of that. <laughs> I don't well, think he I has think the he... time to fix that ship. <laughs> There's like, I mean, it's huge. I think yeah. it kind of goes into like the Eldritch Horror kind of aspect of it, where the Ishimura feels so big. And yeah. I think that's part of what's scary about it is like, even all of the areas that you're exploring in the game, there are still other places. And those other places probably have, you know, just as many giant monsters in them ready to kill you. Yeah. I mean, you fight a monster in this game that's like the size of a small mountain and it's still just like a blemish on the like the scale of this ship. I think that's part of the reason I just assumed that there were people actively actively living on the ship was just cuz it's massive. I mean, there um, are people that live on the ship. Isaac's just not one of them. Yeah. It, it's like it's a mining ship, but it's a mining like if you read around in some of the logs like the mining operations take like five years. Yeah, yeah. I think the last thing I kind of want to touch on here is we, we've definitely brought it up already, but there is a pretty robust system for upgrading yourself and your abilities and your weapons. And when I first went to like a crafting table and saw this huge tree of upgrades on a weapon i kind of turned up my nose because i was thinking like this is not a genre that ever benefits from that kind of thing but by the end anytime i'd find a node that would upgrade something i was like i gotta put this on my pulse rifle right now (laughs) 
Uh, because upgrades both feel essential and feel good. Like, you notice it every time you upgrade a weapon, and I, I really like that part of it. Yeah, I think that the weapon upgrades are pretty interesting, especially the ones that add, like, actual new effects to the weapon. Yeah. Um, I guess one example of this is with uh, the level, like, the basic ripper that you get in the game. That's the, the chainsaw, or buzzsaw launcher, I guess, is a better way to yeah. describe it. Mm-hmm. Um, when you first get it, I don't think it bounces off of walls at all, but... Its upgrades are all bounce are all based around when you fire the uh, the saw blade instead of just holding it and spinning it. You can also fire it with its alt fire, and it'll bounce off of walls and cut through enemies. And I think it locks onto enemies a little bit. <laughs> yeah, when it bounces, it kind of turns in the direction of an enemy, which is cool. Yeah. So you can do some really cool stuff like bouncing them off of walls, but also like they'll get so much more powerful as you get those damage upgrades because. The enemies don't really get more health as you get further along in the game. Yeah, most of the difficulty comes from just fighting more. Yeah, there's a certain point where you start running into stronger ones, but for the most part, it's just about the number of enemies that are out there. <laughs> but those those damage upgrades are really useful because when a, a weapon that once did like 50 damage is doing you know 300 damage, <laughs> like that's a huge difference. Um, yeah. Did you play around with the? I think my favorite gun was the the force gun. Did you get to play around with that at all? Really? Oh, I love the I love the force gun. It plays really well with the the new skin and flesh peeling feature that they added. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, like from the first time I shot that gun and it pushed back like a whole room's worth of people, I was like, well, I'm gonna have this equipped all the time from now on. <laughs> But it's so cool when you use it from, like, really close range because you can take out basically... It, it's like a heavy weapon, I would say. You can take mm. out basically any any enemy with, like, two shots with it. I guess we didn't really mention it, but in this game, something that's kind of different from the 2008 is uh, in order to make it more clear, like, where you're hitting enemies and where you're closer to actually dismembering them and knocking a limb off, uh, the skin and flesh and muscle like it's torn away as you keep attacking one specific spot uh and it's it's especially crazy with the force gun because generally what will happen is you'll use it if you use it at close range at least you'll fire at an enemy and it'll rip off like literally all everything like they'll just be the bones and muscle at that point (laughs) yeah this game is brutal like it it does not hold anything back with the gore and the tearing enemies apart and it's normally that kind of thing really gets to me like i i do not have a strong stomach for a lot of gore that's part of the reason that i bounced off of horror games for so long in general but i think that this game it's also so clear that you're exclusively fighting aliens that like it doesn't bother me i mean i know they're technically human but you know (laughs) I, Uh, i think that something that's really cool about the necromorphs is like they're still clearly human based but I think that they look like deformed and disfigured enough that it it doesn't feel like you're just fighting a person. (laughs) Yeah. It kind of takes that part of it out. Whereas like zombie games, sometimes the zombies will still look just like people. (laughs) I guess the silhouette's a big part of it. Because like you see a zombie silhouette and it's not always clear that it's a zombie, but like you see a necromorph silhouette and... That's a monster. That's a that's a necromorph. I guess it also helps that like 
it's pretty clear in the game that there's no help of bringing, like, there's no, there's no chance of bringing these people back. Like, yeah, they may be corpses walking around, but but they've been morphed. You're you're not gonna be able to turn them back into people. So they done got morphed. I also like how the game kind of describes the the types of necromorphs <laughs> because uh, they they lay out that there are some necromorphs where their whole thing is that they go around and they make more me- necromorphs. Uh, and then there's the rest of them, which they just make more corpses for the the other ones to turn into necromorphs. <laughs> I am kind of glad. I feel like the game, it is pretty gory with the the monsters, but for the most part, I don't feel like it's super gory with people, or at least living people. And I, yeah. I think that's part of what makes it a lot more comfortable. Yeah. Because you'll see people that have been gored, torn apart. Um <laughs> But it's already happened. <laughs> yeah, for the most part. Yeah, I mean, I would say even if you have a weak stomach, you could. it probably wouldn't hurt to give this game a try. You'll pretty much know if it's going to mess with you by like halfway through the first chapter. <laughs> it's a really fun game. Well, and I hate that I haven't played the original to talk about sort of what's different. But at the same time, now there is no way in hell I could go back to a third-person shooter from 2008 and have a good time with it, especially after playing the same game but better. Yeah, and it's a pretty faithful remake. I mean, the only major like story differences that I know about are just the fact that like Isaac talks, whereas in the original game, he was a silent protagonist. Hmm, interesting. Is it all complete new voice work, or...? Yeah, the the whole game is new voice work. There's nothing like hmm. reused from the original game, as far as I can tell. Hmm. Uh, and several of the actors are recast. Like, I mean, obviously Isaac didn't have a voice actor in the original game. Like, you know, he was completely silent. Like, no words. I think that the the new voice work it is all really good. I, there yeah. aren't really any moments that just feel terrible. Whereas, like, I've been playing through Morrowind recently as well, and. Or sorry, not Morwen, uh, Oblivion, and uh, the voice work in Oblivion is um, uh, bad. <laughs> Everything that was good about the original Dead Space is still there, and the things that were bad or needed work <laughs> have been completely redone. I guess I only know that from talking to friends, you know, and reading stuff online, because uh, I haven't played a huge amount of the original Dead Space, but. I've at least played enough of the 2008 Dead Space to tell you that the gameplay is significantly improved. (laughs) The graphics are significantly improved. I will say the 2008 version, and I think it's just something about like the lower fidelity graphics. It kind of sells the whole Eldritch Horror aspect of the series better. Something about the HD textures or like the, the super HD textures that they're using now. Uh, I don't know. It, it, I, I think just this might just be a me thing, but it, in my mind, like Eldritch Horror is lo-fi. <laughs> I mean, I can I can kind of see like where hyper realism kind of flies in the face of uh, basically an entire genre that's fueled by disgusting hybrid human monster things. <laughs> like, yeah. but I mean, the game does still look incredible, and yeah, for sure. I have literally no complaints about this remake. It is. It sets a bar, like maybe not a brand new bar, but I guess it's it's raising the bar for what a remake should be because yeah. it nails being true to the original 
while also introducing enough new stuff, like being able to fast travel around the ship. It's incredible. Yeah, I mean, I, I really don't have too much more to say about it other than if you're even considering playing this game, I would I would suggest go for it. Like, I I have a hard time seeing who would not enjoy this game if, like, you care about horror or, like, suspenseful games or anything even a little bit. Like, I have no significant complaints here. And, you know, even as someone that's not a huge fan of the genre, I, I think it knocks it out of the park on just about every front. Like I said at the beginning, I think this is the horror game that you could play and get into horror games. This could be your first horror game. I'm, I'm picturing a, a my first horror game type thing. It's like a children's book uh, adaptation of, of uh, Dead Space. <laughs> I hope they remake 2 so bad. Yeah. Oh, This game, I think it's a really good length and it makes really good use of its time, but I want more. Like, I I want to see where this goes, and I don't want to play a game from 2010 to do it. <laughs> I haven't even beat this yet, and I'd already be down for them to make a sequel. <laughs> go play it. You you should go play it. <laughs> uh, I think that's enough Dead Space talk. We got something else we got to get into, so we're going to take a quick break, and we'll be right back after this. We are back, and we're going to talk remakes. Obviously, the gaming landscape is dominated by remakes these days. I mean, I feel like every month we're getting the remaster or re-release of some major game from 10-plus years ago. And as, as common as they are, I still feel like there are some really great candidates for a remake that just haven't gotten it. I think we should take some time to talk about games we would like to see remade. And I do mean remake, not remaster or re-release. I'm talking at least on the level of Dead Space, if not like a full-on fundamental change like Final Fantasy VII-R situation. Uh, Final Fantasy VII-R, I feel like that's too high of a bar for, for a remake, just because of the fact that it's a sequel. Yeah, technically Final Fantasy VII Remake isn't even a remake. Man, that game was a mess. A beautiful, incredible mess that I can't wait for more of. <laughs> yeah, it's like a yeah. uh, like a friggin' slice of pie, you know, where as soon as you break through that shell, it's all falling apart. But like, you want more of it. <laughs> yeah, that's an interesting way to put it, uh, Jackson. <laughs> what is a game you would like to see remade? So I've actually I've brought two for this discussion. One something that I've not played before, and the other, something I have. Uh, so the one I haven't played, uh, I'd like to see the original God of War trilogy remastered or remade, um, but not specifically just like remade. I, I want it to still fit in to the current God of War story. I want it, I want the entire original trilogy told in a way that's like, Kratos explaining everything that happened to uh, um, Freya after the events of God of War Ragnarok. Now, I wouldn't mind like a full reimagining because I think there is a lot of stuff about that that trilogy that um, one wouldn't fly now, <laughs> and two just is very dated, like gameplay wise. Mm. Yeah, especially for the first game. 
I've heard, especially from you, Jason, that the first game does not hold up very well and is uh, best to just skip and watch the cutscenes of. The first game is very basic and very rough around the edges. It's also really boring and it's not very well paced or like it, it's not well paced in story or uh, like gameplay challenge. Hmm. I don't really know what the length of all three of the original trilogy is. God of War one's like six hours. It's not super long. I feel like if they remade the original trilogy, they could potentially do it all as one game. Yeah, I could see that. That get, that gets kind of weird because, like, I think God of War one, I said it's like six hours. I think. I think God of War two is like ten. God of War three is like fifteen. <laughs> like they they yeah. get significantly longer as you go. That's still shorter than God of War twenty eighteen or Ragnarok. But I think what you were saying before about this being a story that Kratos is retelling is actually kind of cool because then you could kind of just hit the highlights. Make God of War 1 only like two or three hours long and then like two, like half as long and then three. You can't cut anything out of three, I don't think. Yeah, three is tough because it is, I mean, it's all kind of in real time. And, like, it's always moving forward. I think the only thing you could really do with 3 would be cut out some of, like, the fights that happen that are just meant to be, like, between yeah. big Yeah, you, you could fights. cut out maybe the the whole chapter with Daedalus. But I, I think that's <laughs> yeah. maybe the only part of the game that you could cut out without, like, losing something significant. 3 kind of fires well, on all cylinders. It's crazy. Uh, 3 is yeah. so good, Jackson. <laughs> <laughs> and three is the only one of the trilogy that I think just like fully holds up now. Yeah. I think three is as good now as it ever was. I, I think some of the important like story beats from the spinoff games could also be worked into something like this. Um, not the full games though. Cause I've heard some of the spinoffs aren't very good. <laughs> yeah. It is. It is tough with God of War because you have to ask the question, what matters? Because on one hand, even the events of the spinoffs are still really important to explain sort of Kratos' motives and his background and who he is as a person. But at the same time, they don't have significant story implications. Like, they don't, they don't affect the plot in a huge way, even if they set the tone in a huge way. And I think that there's a lot to balance with God of War when it comes to things like that. Because the plot of the original three is very simple. I mean, it's just, he's mad, so he has to kill some gods. I mean, you could pretty much boil it all down to, like, three or four major plot points about his relationship with Ares and his, his dad and the assault on Olympus. And But there's a lot more to it than that. <laughs> I'd like to see the remake from someone that is good at making hack-and-slash games. Mm-hmm. I think it would be better if, like, Santa Monica focused on a sequel... And if they could hand it over to someone like like Platinum Games, so we can get like the same kind of gameplay, the same like crazy action scenes that the the older God of Wars were known for, I think that the people at Santa Monica have kind of moved on from the point where they would make a game like the original God of Wars anyway, though. Oh yeah, for sure. It's just, it just seems like it's a much more mature studio now, and 
not to say that the old games are immature, but you know, a lot of the people that worked on the old games are still there. <laughs> They're just yeah. like higher up. And it seems like from everything I've ever heard them say, like they, they want to make new games and tell new stories because they're at new parts of their lives. For sure. And I mean, the times have changed. I just, a game like God of War 1 and 2 specifically, they just don't have a place in today's climate. But it's not to say that that story isn't still cool and shouldn't be told. It's just that there's a lot that would need to change for people to be receptive to it at all. All right, Jackson, what's your other game? Uh, my other game, Mass Effect 1, which recently did get remastered because of the uh, the Legendary Collection. But it still still doesn't hold up that great. I think I think the story and the characters and the writing and the world, all of that holds up fine. None of that's got problems. It's mostly it's, it's the gameplay that's got some problems. Like it doesn't even like look that bad. Like I think if they made a remaster of this, they wouldn't even need it to have like today's graphics. They could put it in the same engine and graphical style as Mass Effect 2 and 3, and I think it'd be perfect. It's it's just not great to play. <laughs> One, it's an old third-person shooter, which, at least in my opinion, I feel like those have never been too great for the most part. And it definitely got better with 2 and 3, mostly because they really figured out what they were doing with those. You but. just played through a third-person shooter that you said you loved. <laughs> That's from 2023, not 2007. It's from 2008. Well, sorry, Dead Space is for 2008. Yeah, yeah. Mass Effect wants for 2007, the greatest year of gaming. But I actually think it's a really, it's a really interesting comparison because I do think that if Mass Effect felt as good to play as Dead Space 2023 does, that's it. That's all it needs. <laughs> yeah, Mass Effect One, I think, just had like such a heavy emphasis on controlling your squad and kind of moving through that. The first or the third person shooter mechanics are really clunky. And as someone that really enjoys Mass Effect 1, like even in its current state, it's really clear that Mass Effect 2 and 3 picked different things to focus on. Uh, and right. I mean, like the obvious, most obvious way to see that is in Mass Effect 1, when you are looking at your squad commands, you have like a whole giant wheel that takes up the whole screen. <laughs> But in Mass Effect 2 and 3, like, it's just one button to send them to do something. Like, you can only even have two abilities equipped per squad mate. Yeah. And then you can just pull up that wheel if you want to use one of their other abilities or map a different one to those buttons. Which, that's another great thing. I know this is supposed to be about Mass Effect 1, but I want to talk about that for a second because I'm onto it now. The fact that you could just change the bind for whatever uh, character ability... Just in the middle of a mission, in the middle of a fight, that was so cool. You didn't have to go like all the way into the settings to do something. You could just do it right then, right there. You say you'd like to see that in a remake? Yeah, I don't remember if Mass Effect 1 had that or not. There just weren't key bindings in that one, I don't think. Not for squad abilities, I think you had to open the menu to use them. It's probably why I didn't use them much in Mass Effect 1. Uh, I think Mass Effect 1 could also very much benefit from having its progression match that of two and three one was kind of like a looter uh you would find new weapons all the time <laughs> a weird amount you would constantly just have a bunch of weapons on you like all the time 
In Mass Effect 2 and 3, you could just, like, you'd find one every now and then in missions, uh, but for the most part, you could just buy them, and then there was a lot more emphasis on upgrading those weapons. I liked Mass Effect 1's loot system better, actually. I, I kind of enjoyed, especially the modding. I thought that you had more options with any individual weapon that made it kind of fun. Whereas, like, in Mass Effect 2, you just want to use the weapon with whatever the best stats are, whether that be fire rate or damage, usually. But Mass Effect 1, like, there was a decision where do you want to use the weapon with the best stats or do you want to have the most mod slots? Plus, I really enjoyed being able to switch between different ammo types to fight different enemies. I thought that was really cool, and I wish something similar had been in future games, but they just turned it into an ability. I think it worked fine as an ability. I I liked it. But yeah, I'm just I'm not a fan of just the constant loot from that game. I thought it was very annoying. Even if they kept that sort of looter system, just tone it down a good bit. <laughs> Speaking of toning things down, tone down the Mako. <laughs> Less Mako or just make it feel better to use. I feel like if there was anything in that that would just benefit from a from the ground up complete revamp would be the Mako. It's it's so funny you're you're complaining about it because you you've not played the original, have you? Oh, I yeah, I guarantee it's got to be worse in the original than in the legendary collection. Yeah, you're already playing with the good Mako. It used to be so much worse. Yeah, the Mako missions in Mass Effect One were definitely. The worst parts of it. <laughs> it is kind of funny that the Mako is so bad that even in the remake, it stands out as being something terrible. <laughs> but I, I think just, you know, making Mass Effect 1 match the gameplay feel and progression of 2 and 3. Like, I think even just that would be enough. It doesn't need, like, super... Super fancy graphic settings that you'd find in games now. Like it could just could just look as good as Mass Effect two and three. <laughs> just make it feel good to play. <laughs> I think if you were gonna get a remake like that, it would have happened in Legendary Edition. Yeah, but anyways, that that's my two games. Who who wants to go next? Oh, I'll go next. Me, pick me. The game I want to see a remake of. Well, more of the series is the Elder Scrolls games. I have a lot of questions. <laughs> I'd really like to see a remake of the original three. Uh, Arena. I forgot what the second one's called, actually. <laughs> Daggerfall. Yeah, Arena, Daggerfall, and Morrowind. Um, mm. And I say that as a huge fan of Morrowind, but Morrowind's from 2003, and it's very clearly showing its age. I think that it could really do with primarily a new, new coat of paint because it's very muddy looking. It's not a great looking game, but Morrowind's world is so cool. Like the just aesthetically, like the giant mushrooms and volcano, uh, like the path where the lava flowed. Like you can clearly see those kind of things scarring the ground. It's such a beautiful world, but it's held back so much by the fact that it released on the original Xbox. Yeah. I would love to see a remake of Morrowind. And to kind of add on to that, I'd really like to see a remake of Arena and Daggerfall as well, because those games are so old that, like, I, I can't sit through them. 
Arena and Daggerfall are both aged to the point where, like, they are unplayable for me. But with how good Morrowind is, I know that there has to be something good buried in those ancient games. And I really want to see it. And I'd love to see them, at the very least, in, like, the same engine as Skyrim. I'd kind of like to see... Well, sorry. I said same engine. Technically, they are in the same engine. Um, (laughs) I'd like to see them with, like, the same level of care and detail given to Skyrim where like everything is beautifully rendered in HD. I, I think for me, that's sort of what it would take to finally get me to sit down and give this game like a tremendous amount of time just because I feel like when you go back and play a game long after it came out, it's really hard to piece together the world and the characters. If visually they're not, like, there are elements that are hard to distinguish if you're not playing them in the time they released. And I feel like that hits especially hard with a game as complex as Morrowind. So I would, I think, like, a, a full-scale re-release with, like, modern graphics and stuff would, would be a really good boost for people like me that are interested in the game but just never really clicked with it to, to finally, like, give it its due. It would also be good for them to update the combat systems because Morrowind was still back in that age when there's a lot of like dice rolls basically going on in the background where this is something that we used to joke around a lot about like when we were originally playing Morrowind back in like 2005 you know where you would (laughs) sometimes you would go to attack an enemy the enemy would like recoil because they just got hit and then it would pop up and say you missed yeah like you could see a sword enter another person's body and you missed. <laughs> I think that the the way the stamina works in Morrowind is kind of outdated. That it kind of forces you to go around really slowly. Unless, until you learn how to kind of game the system. I think that Morrowind is from a time when the game designers kind of intended for you to play with things that were broken. Um, but I would like to see that not be the case in modern times. <laughs> Like, maybe just make it to where the walking speed in Morrowind is a decent speed, instead of making it to where the only way you can really travel quickly is by jumping at a diagonal, because you go, like, 1.5 times as fast. (laughs) But also, like, Morrowind had all those really cool magical effects that the newer games just don't play around with the same way. Like, Morrowind had... Really early on in the game, you'd see a wizard fall out of the sky, and if you looked at his body, he had scrolls of Icarian Flight. And what those did is they raised your acrobatic skill by, like, a thousand. So when you jumped, you would jump way up in the air, like, you could easily jump from one side of the island uh, to the other side in just a single jump. Uh, But when you hit the ground on the other side, you would just instantly die. (laughs) Skyrim doesn't really have anything that's fun like that. Um, and I don't really think there are any modern games that kind of play around the same way that Morrowind did. The fact that Morrowind has, like, the best weapon in the game is hidden behind an Easter egg, where when you do it, it says, like, screw you, Duke University, or something like that. Just absolutely wild stuff. And on the one hand, I'd like to see new games do that stuff. But on the other hand, I'd like more people to just play Morrowind. So if we could get a remake of that so I can at least get my brothers to play it, that would be incredible. (laughs) Yeah. 
that's enough of my Morrowind soapbox. I'd also like to see the you know the first two games kind of done up the same way, but I haven't played those, so they're they're black boxes to me. Just completely no idea what's in those. Just kind of curious. But uh, Jordan, what would you like to see remade? One of my favorite series as a kid were the Jack and Daxter games, and I think that these games hold up really well. I don't necessarily know that there needs to be a huge, huge overhaul mechanically to make them really solid games in the modern landscape, but I do think that seeing a visual overhaul and brought up to 2023 graphics would be incredible. Like, I would really, really love to see Jack and Dexter rebuilt from the ground up in a way that still emphasizes how bright and vibrant that world is, and it doesn't necessarily change how it plays. So I just, I think that there's a lot they could do there to make the game look better, be a little bit more approachable. The only thing I think they would necessarily need to trim content-wise would be some of, like, the weird mini-game stuff, which had some weird difficulty spikes. But, like, otherwise, I think the game's incredible. I replayed it about a year ago. And I mean, it still holds up fantastic. I just, I just think like a full-scale remake, just to make it look as good as it possibly could, would be well, well deserved. The bigger thing I would like to see change if they redid the whole series would be Jack Two and Jack 3's gameplay, specifically regarding combat, because I think that they did a really good job with what they had of this like third person shooter but where you're not actually aiming the guns like i still think it worked out shockingly well but i would really really love to see the game remade to emphasize the gunplay a little bit and to add sort of like an over-the-shoulder shooter feel to it like you could still have the regular third person platforming and stuff in that world but then when you aim you like hold a trigger and it zooms in over the shoulder so you can kind of aim that way like, I think that there's something really cool they could do where every part of the game would be totally in sync. Because I think that Jack 2 pulled off something absolutely phenomenal in taking a very simple and kid-friendly game and moving it into this very dark and serious world. But I think if they could replicate that, but make it just feel a little better to shoot guns, it would be fantastic. I like the way that the guns in the Jack sequels kind of play into your movement a little bit yeah like yeah, that especially to, with the same, uh like the yellow eco gun when you jump up in the air and do a spin and fire it you like you know the bullets go off in all different directions and it's really cool for taking out like a bunch of enemies around you all at once um and i don't i don't know how you'd really be able to do that if you had to like aim down the sights you wouldn't necessarily need to make it where it's mandatory to aim when shooting like i think having Still the option to just press a button while you're running around the world is, is fine, but I just, I, do just, uh, I just feel like a little bit of extra accuracy to what you're doing could go a long way. And I think it means they could sort of turn the combat up a little bit in general, because I think that they have to sort of keep it simple because you don't have that option to move and aim separately. So I think if they introduce that, they could do some cool stuff where the combat's a little faster and more aggressive and a little bit more unpredictable that they just can't do with the current system. Which, hey, even if it were just a visual upgrade, I would love that. <laughs> I think that the, all three of the Jack games deserve all the praise in the world, and <laughs> I would love to see just a visual visual upgrade, but who knows if that's coming? Because I don't think... I don't even know who technically has the rights to Jack and Dexter anymore. 
I think it's still Naughty Dog. Mm. Uh, I think they just, they're not really interested in making one anymore. Yeah. They're too interested in making games that make people sad. It is so funny to me, the creation of Jack 2 just being uh, what if our kid-friendly action platformer was Grand Theft Auto 3? <laughs> yeah, it's everything about Jack 2 is insane, but it's even more insane that it all works. <laughs> like, like the game was still fantastic. I, I do really enjoy all the Jack games. I do have to say, I think gameplay-wise, the Jack 1 is my favorite. Yeah, I think that it, the simplicity of it also sells it in a way. Like, there's not a lot of abilities, but it makes really good use of the world, and there's some more interesting platforming stuff, whereas I think the third game, or the second and third game, were so combat-heavy that it sort of took away from just being a platformer. But I still think that, you know, all three of them are, are excellent in their own ways, for sure. So, Naughty Dog, if you're listening to this, which I'm, I'm sure that you are, every single person that works there definitely is listening to this, uh, you should you should remake Jack and Daxter. Please. <laughs> Please, we're begging you. Yeah. Or just I make want. Jack 4. Do anything. Please. Yeah. I looked it up, by the way. The, the weapon in Morrowind that I was thinking of, it's called Elton Brand, which was also the name of a basketball player for Duke. And the line that pops up when you get the weapon is, go to hell, Carolina. <laughs> ah, good stuff. <laughs> That's already a lot of Dead Space and remakes and all that jazz talk. <laughs> so I think that means it's time to pull the plug. Jackson, what is something else you've been into? Well... To continue my weeks of talking about The Last of Us, I have finally finished Last of Us Part 2. And by finished, I mean finished replaying it for the second time. It holds up, surprisingly. You know, after only being out for three years, it it's still very good. Um, I still really like it. I, I recognize more of its faults this time playing it. Um never realized how disconnected the second half of the game feels from the first half i don't have that big a problem with it i do wish it was more connected but it's it, it's there uh the game's been out for three years can't do anything about that now uh ending is still sad can confirm still a sad ending yeah you can't really talk about the last of us the way that you constantly talk about destiny because neither of us really <laughs> neither of us play the last of us like we can't play along with you because like we don't we don't know anything about this game <laughs> yeah yeah I'm, i i don't i don't really know what all i have to say that hasn't been said before i haven't done anything else though so i don't have anything else to talk about i feel that uh i'm saving i'm saving to talk about the show until all the episodes have been out and there's still a few more of those to go also i'm pretty sure you you talked about the show last episode and then you talked I, I about, talked about the first episode after it came out yeah and then you talked about uh the first the remake of last of us one on the episode after that i'm pretty sure since we came back in the new year everyone here pulling the plugs has been about last of us i'm pretty sure i i think every single one has except maybe our game of the year episode we didn't do a pulling the plug on that one that's right yeah, yeah. so he's right 
Yeah, yeah. Checkmate, um, idiot. <laughs> yeah. Leave this in. Leave this all in. I gotta say, uh, for me personally, I will be glad once you get out of the whole Last of Us hole that you're in right now. Because uh, you are very bummed out as a person when the only media that you're engaging with is The Last of Us. Which I get why, but... <laughs> uh, I will say, I, I replayed part two right after playing part one, the remake. It's a lot less jarring than when you go between the original game and part two. Because part two looks a whole lot better than part one, and also feels... Or, than the original... <laughs> And also feels a lot better to play the, the the original. And Last of Us Part 1 feels a lot more like Last of Us Part 2. And looks a lot more like Last of Us Part 2. It really feels like a sequel. Dang. Who would have guessed that a game with Part 2 in the title would feel like a sequel? <laughs> we truly do live in a society. I, I'm mostly interested after playing it, though, just to see how they're, they'll handle the second game in the second season of the show because we all know the second game had some things that fans did not like they're gonna have to come up with a new pun for whoever the showrunner's name is well actually neil Druckmann is one of the main writers for the show so they'll probably still just they'll probably just still call him neil cuckman anyways that's my last of us rant for this week we'll be back with another one in two weeks I don't I don't think I'll be back in two weeks. There's still like four more episodes of the show. Then I'll be back. I'll be back in four weeks. You'll find a way to talk about it next week, too. Actually, the next episode's going to be really tough for you, Jackson, because the next episode will will be just a couple days after the Destiny 2 expansion launches. But we're not doing an episode on that expansion for like another month. So there's going to be like a month you're going to have to not talk about Destiny, even though you're actively playing a lot of Destiny. Dang it. That's it. We're canceling the Lightfall episode. Um, But yeah, I'll be back with more Last of Us in four to six weeks. Um, So so see see y'all then. Set Uh, set your calendars. (laughs) Set your calendars. uh, Start your engines. Um, Will you please just uh, yeah. do a segue Jason, to me? say a thing. All right, thank you. The thing that I've been doing this week is called I've Been Being a Pirate in Sea of Thieves with my brothers. And and Abby's been playing too. Yarhar Yoho. We won't go. It's been a pretty good time, Sea of Thieves. I tried playing it, and I think I even discussed it a little bit on the podcast several months ago but when i was playing it then i was trying to play it alone and let me tell you that game sucks when you're alone (laughs) yeah it's definitely the most it's definitely the most like forced interaction game i've ever played which is i think it's sort of it's best part and sort of it's undoing at the same time but it is definitely an experience when you're playing with other people for sure it's a it's a pretty good game i've enjoyed uh sailing the the good old sea of thieves with uh my my loyal crew we have a cool xbox themed boat that we ride around in <laughs> it's one of those games that i've always wanted to play but until now i hadn't really had a good chance and now that i do have a full squad uh my only real complaint is that it's a little aimless 
Like I really enjoy the day, like the moment to moment game, but I kind of wish that there was like a story that you could interact with that wasn't just like the seasonal stuff, which we just so happened to start playing like between season 11 and 12, basically. <laughs> also with only like three weeks left of a season. So we couldn't even yeah. like go back and do a lot from the season we're already on. <laughs> I really wish that, because they're like the tall tales that you can do, but those are more just kind of like a list of things to do and places to go. I, I think that the game would be a lot better off if it had some kind of story mode with a beginning, middle, and end that you could just access whenever you wanted. Um, and I know that like there's the Pirates of the Caribbean stuff that I think is kind of like that, but I, that's only like five quests. I think that like the whole everybody having a role on the ship and like needing people to man the sails, someone to drive, people that just keep an eye out and make sure you don't crash into stuff. I think it's all really fun and it keeps everyone busy in a kind of interesting and engaging way that there aren't really any other games that I think nail that aspect. Yeah, there, there are a lot of things about this game that I'm not a huge fan of, but I will say just going out sailing and everybody doing their own jobs and just just the way you get around i really really love yeah it's also got like a fun art style i think it's kind of a pretty game to look at i don't have a huge amount of stuff to say about it jordan what's your game i have been playing a game that has been on my radar for a very long time but it's on game pass and i didn't realize that until like last week so i finally gave it a shot uh, this is a game that I am retroactively declaring the official TBM 2022 game of the year. Uh, so get scrap anything we said about God of War because the best game was Power Wash Simulator. <laughs> this is a weird game to talk about because it is sort of a joke, but it's also a weirdly well-established joke. Like... I'm really glad this game is what it is because after power washing kind of became like a social media trend in a sense, I felt like a game was kind of inevitable, but it could have been like a crappy, low quality, poorly put together cash grab. And instead it's like a weirdly well-made game. <laughs> um, there's a lot to this. You, you basically just, you take your power washer, you're given some incredibly disgusting vehicle or a building or public space that you need to clean from top to bottom. And, and they're, all, they're all gross to the point where you have to wonder, like, what happened here? <laughs> yeah, like they are like covered in like a quarter inch of grime just all over. Like it's, it's messed up. Uh, but you're just given a power washer and you got to clean it off and you make money for finishing or you make money for cleaning off individual parts of a thing which you can use to buy add-ons for your power washer or just entirely better machines and you you accrue this set of equipment that you can use to handle all sorts of different jobs and it progresses in scale in a really cool way where you go from like your first job is just like a car and then you know Several jobs later, you're cleaning, like, entire houses, and then a mansion, and then a private jet. And, and then Lara Croft's house. Croft Manor. 
There's also some absolutely bonkers DLC where you have to clean vehicles and locations from, from Tomb Raider. And then there's one coming where you have to clean stuff from Final Fantasy VII, which is going to be outrageous, I am sure. I'm very excited for. Have um, you done the Tomb Raider stuff yet? I have not. I decided I wanted to finish the base game first. And this game is way bigger than I expected it to be. I've done about 30 jobs now, and I still have quite a few left. Do you have, uh, like, the heavy-duty stuff yet? I have the best power washer in the game. Uh, I grinded for that. <laughs> um, and I have most of, like, the best attachments. Uh, the game actually has, like, a pretty good sense of humor about itself, too. There's, like, text message conversations between you and the client happening while you're power washing, and, like, some pretty wild stuff gets gets brought up. Like, there's one house where... Like, there's this, like, layer of grime, and once you wash it away, you start finding, like, really weird symbols spray-painted into the house, and then there's, like, a text message conversation happening while you're cleaning about, like, is this, like, a cult thing? Um, and then there's one where you're hired by the mayor to power wash his house, because uh, he's been egged, but he won't let you onto his property, so you have to use, like, super long-range gear to spray-paint his house from the sidewalk. And uh, a really weird one I just did where you're asked to clean a private jet and uh, at first it's so disgusting you can't really tell. But as you clean it, you realize it has some weird stuff on it, like a laser gun and like anti-gravity, like, uh, I don't know, something to like hold it in place in the sky. And you learn like this is straight up the jet of a supervillain. And it just, it's a very relaxing game. But it's also just a lot bigger and more thorough than it probably needed to be. And I'm glad it is. Because this game would have done well just cashing in on the social media trends. But instead they made like an actually fun game out of it. I've so. also been playing Power Wash Simulator. I haven't played anywhere near as much as you. I've just gotten to uh, like the playground. And I, I just unlocked the medium duty <laughs> Power Washer. And uh, it is kind of funny when you upgrade from, like, the basic power washer to the second one, just because the second power washer has, like, the same power on its widest setting as the first one on, like, its smallest setting. <laughs> just an absolute game changer. <laughs> but I've really been enjoying it. And uh, I, I was asking if you've played the DLC, because uh, I also want to play the DLC, and I figured we could do it together. <laughs> Yeah, I'm downloading Power Wash Simulator on my PC as we speak. I already downloaded it on your Xbox because I wanted to play it at your house. <laughs> he did uh, play it, and yeah. I, um, it's not a fun game to watch. No, no, not in the slightest. I would imagine, uh, I would imagine that was not not fun for <laughs> for you all. It is. It is fun to watch at the very end. It gives you a. Uh, like a little time lapse showing yeah. like how you cleaned the property, and it it it's very cool. Yeah, very um, satisfying no. to watch just that time lapse. Yeah, for sure. Everything else takes like an hour. <laughs> yeah, uh, it is a time consuming game. Although one thing that is really cool, it is entirely co op for everything in the base game, and the bonus levels, which there's a handful of, and the DLC are co op up to six players, which is which is interesting. Also makes sense because, like with Laura Croft's Manor, that place is absolutely massive. I would imagine by yourself, it's probably like a potentially a several hour job. <laughs> I saw, I thought, I think like three people can do it in an hour. <laughs> I didn't watch the video, but I did see like a video popped up on my YouTube feed 
uh, where it was people playing through that DLC. But I, I think it also adds like six jobs. Like just yeah, the first just job the, takes an hour. Yeah. It's not just the manor. It's also some vehicles. And I think there's like at least one other location that's like big in the series. I think so. there's like the museum where all of like it's just a bunch of Easter eggs from the games. But yeah, it's a good time. And it's on Game Pass. So if you've considered it, if it seems like something you would want to do, uh, I, I recommend at least trying it out. I always play it while I'm listening to a podcast. So like it's, you know, it's not a game you have to engage with 100% all the time, but it's a good time. I've been playing it on the Steam Deck. Well, sorry, I've been playing it on cloud gaming on the Xbox on the Steam Deck. <laughs> <laughs> the easiest way to do it. <laughs> Well, you know, I don't want to use the TV for something like that because, for sure. like I said, it's not a fun game to watch. <laughs> yeah. But it is something like really cool that you can play and like turn your brain off or watch something else. I'm really excited for the the Final Fantasy DLC. I hope they do a bunch of like crazy DLCs. Yeah, I, I'm sure there's at least a few more coming with how they've they're they've kind of hinted at the fact that there's going to be multiple collabs coming up. So. It would be really cool if they could have done, like, a Dead Space DLC. But unfortunately, it's different companies. But that would have been fun, like, cleaning up the mess after Isaac, like, <laughs> rampages through the Ishimura. Well, I think that just about does it for another episode of the Totally Biased Media Podcast. If you would like to reach out to us, there are a handful of ways you can do that. First, on Twitter, at TBMcast. Second, on Instagram, at Totally Biased Media. Third, you can send an email to totallybiasedmedia at gmail.com. If you reach out to us any of those three ways, we would love to hear your reviews for recent release games or your suggestions for what we do on the show or what we stream on the future and in the future, whatever. And speaking of streaming, we do that every weekend now on twitch.tv slash totallybiasedmedia. Uh, it's the year of the Kong. We're working our way through the entire Donkey Kong Country series starting with Donkey Kong Country 1, working all the way up to Donkey Kong Country Tropical Freeze. We're about two-thirds of the way through Donkey Kong Country 2, and uh, we're, we're plugging along. You know, We'll get there by the end of the year, we promise. Uh, but I think that just about does it for another episode. Wait, no, I'm starting over. <laughs> Oh, God, no. <laughs> I'm in a loop. I can't get out. No. They say in space, no one can hear you scream. But the necromorphs <laughs> just took that as a challenge. Welcome to Totally Biased Media. <laughs> yeah. What I meant to say was, but for the Totally Biased Media podcast, I'm Jordan Walkup. I'm Jason Simmons. And I'm Jackson Walkup. And you just felt the bias. Thank you, everyone. Goodbye. <laughs>